You guys glad to be here this morning? Yeah. That's what I like to hear. Okay. I, every time I'm on stage, at least I do announcements or I speak, I feel like I say, we're glad you guys are here. And it, it may feel repetitive and old, but honestly, we are just so glad that you guys take time out of your weekend, out of your Sunday mornings to just spend here with us in God's word. And, and we're blessed to be able to have you guys and, and we're blessed to be able to do what we do. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, may not know who I am, just let me introduce myself real quick. Uh, my name is Michael. I've been on staff here for about a little over two years now. And I am the fourth and fifth grade director, which means I'm in charge of 45th Street. And I'm the young adult director, which is a big time for us because we just uh, relaunched our young adult ministry last week, had a, a great turnout, had, a, had an awesome time. And so if you're in that age range, 18 to 30, come check us out, see what God's doing here at Grace. Uh, grab some free coffee, some free food, meet some new people, and ultimately learn what God has for our lives. And today, I get the privilege of continuing our series in Road Trip. And for me, I've really enjoyed this series because we're able to just see, as, as obviously Israel is going on this road trip, this journey, kind of story by story and event by event, we're able to break it down and see just what we can learn. And we're able to see God is clearly taking care of his people. He's clearly providing for them. And I think that's just an interesting aspect that we talked about last week. And uh, if you guys weren't here, maybe need just a, a little reminder. Uh, what we've been talking about this series is the people of Israel, they have been in Egypt, which is a foreign land to them, for over 400 years. Joseph was the first person to go to Egypt, and his family then followed. God allowed them, or God blessed them and allowed them to multiply, and they got bigger and bigger, so much so that after Joseph passed away, the Pharaoh, he was concerned. He was saying, okay, these, you know, God's people, Israelites, they could be a problem. They're a potential threat. And so what he did is he began to bring them into slavery. They were, they were oppressed for the majority of that time they were in Egypt. And it was during that time that Moses was the way he was born, and he was the chosen one that God specifically picked to be their leader and to represent the people, and in doing that, he was following God. And last week, we mentioned uh, the Red Sea. And as they begin their road trip, they ran into what they thought was a dead end, and a dead end where they thought, there's no way we're getting out of this. I mean, the Egyptians are coming for us. We had the sea to our back, uh, wilderness to our right. We, we got nowhere to go. But as we, as we learned and, and we read that God, once again, taking care of his people, was able to turn something that seemed that it was an obstacle, he turned it into an opportunity for him to show up and for him to get the glory. And this is where we're picking up our story. Uh, after the Red Sea, that was in Exodus chapter 14. In chapter 15, the people spend the first half of that chapter worshiping God. And that's, I mean, that's the right response to have, right? If God just saves you from the most powerful people on the planet, you're going to respond in gratitude. And so they, they're worshiping him, they're praising him, and they're saying, you know, God, let your name live forever and ever. We thank you for, for everything you've done for us. But as we pick up in the story today, we'll find out really quick that that attitude, that heart towards God of, of them just being so appreciative for what he's done, doesn't last long. And we'll find our theme very quickly. Chapter 15, verse 22 is where we're going to pick up. Then Moses 
led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the waters, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, what should we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Okay, these, these people have been traveling for three days, okay, not very long into their journey in terms of what they were going to be traveling. But in three days, they are already unhappy with how things are going. The Bible says that they are grumbling at Moses. And this word grumble, the Bible kind of uses it interchangeably with grumble, complain, uh, to quarrel, argue, fight, have strife, dispute. It's, it's, if someone is grumbling, the kind of definition is they're not content with their lot in life. It means that they're not happy with what's going on, and so they're letting you know they're grumbling about it. And they started grumbling at Moses. The whole people of Israel were not happy. And I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming that it didn't just go from saying nothing at all to having this overarching feeling of, of just compla- complaining. It probably started them uh, talking to one another, gossiping about Moses and saying, hey, does, does this guy really know what he's doing? I mean, it's been three days. We, we don't have water yet. And it escalated and got to a point that they're going to find out real quick that they started complaining and they didn't realize how detrimental complaining can be to not only their faith, but those around them. Uh, in, in addition to 45th Street and Young Adult, I'm also able to be a part of FUSE, which is our uh, middle school and high school ministry. Uh, Pastor Luke and Pastor Zach had that up. But I'm able to be a part of that. And every summer they go on trips. So middle school, they go to Beyond. And the high school, they go on three different, or they went on three different trips this summer. And I was able to, to lead one of those. We went to Grand Rapids. And we went to the state up north. And we basically, we just served. We went up there kind of hooked up with a, uh, a missions organization, and we camped at a church. And so for a week, we took 14 students, and uh, Willis Briggs was the other leader on that trip. And basically, we just went out into the community. They split us up into different crews, and we served people. That's what we did. And, and every, every trip, which I think Zach does a good job of communicating to this to the leaders and then to the students, is we want to make sure that they have the right attitude in going in that one thing we tell them is no matter what, try, don't complain. We say that because we realize what the Bible says about it. We realize that it's so just destructive to our progress that we're trying to make. When we serve, when we, uh, you know, do good things for other people, that's great. But if our attitude isn't focused on God, if our heart isn't in the right place then it really doesn't bring glory to God. And the people, they didn't exactly learn that lesson. They're disappointed. And it seems as if their confidence in God, the God that just split an entire sea to keep them safe, that confidence in God is almost vanished in three days. And God, even though they didn't have the best attitude towards him, God was still able to provide, and he turned the water from bitter to sweet so that they were able to drink from it. And this miracle 
that God performed of him providing for his people, one of the three that we're going to read about today, it was connected with a promise. See, God would not only be providing for them, but we're going to go on and learn that God would be testing Israel. He'd be testing them while they're in the wilderness, while they're in the desert. Because God, God already knows what's best for them. What's best for them is that they follow him, they obey, you know, whatever he tells them to do, go wherever he leads them. But God set up, sets up guidelines so that he can find out truly where their priorities lie, what their heart is really all about. Are they putting God first or are they putting themselves first? And so chapter 16 is where we're going to pick up again. And this is about a month after they left Egypt. So it's a different story from when they just complained about not having water. Verse 2, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, so everybody, the entire congregation of the sons of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out, gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instructions. And so the people, once again, they're not content. Once again, they're complaining. They're not um, having the right mindset. They're complaining that, oh, man, it, we were slaves, but at least we had food in Egypt. We're out here starving. And they're complaining and grumbling to Moses and Aaron, who are their leaders. And in a sarcastic way, they're saying, man, we don't want to be here. We'd rather be back in Egypt. And their perspective is twisted. And verse 8 really shows us a good kind of picture of what they're complaining was really doing. Verse 8 says, Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. God's going to provide like he always does. But Moses is telling the people, hey, you may be complaining to us. You know, we're the people you're talking to. But the real issue that you have is not with us, it's with God. When you complain, ultimately what you're doing is complaining against God. Because God was the one that put Moses in charge. God was the one that, that instituted him as a leader. And so if they're questioning Moses, they're questioning God. In verse 13, we see just how God provided in kind of a, a unique way. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So people grumble again. They're, they're not happy. They want food. God graciously and lovingly gives them what they want. He provides for them. It says every evening he would provide quail. They would provide meat for them. And so quail, I was, I was reading a little bit about them. They're not the smartest birds in the world. 
But, but what they do is when they migrate, they travel this long way, and then if it's over body of water, when they hit land, they just drop because they're exhausted. They're tired. They need to rest. And so God was obviously able to take, you know, take that, multiply it to a bigger scale to be able to feed 2 million people every night. But he also gave them bread in the morning. And the Bible refers to it as manna, which literally means what is it? The people saw it and they had no clue. The Bible says that it looked like frost on the ground. And it was just this, these white specks on the ground that they had no idea. And they're asking you know, their friends, family, hey, what is that on the ground? And Moses tells them, that's breakfast. And God clearly provides for them, but they're questionable. I, uh, I just have a real quick question for you guys. Does anyone like Chipotle in here? Okay. Not as much excitement as I was looking for, but uh, I love Chipotle. I'm one of those weird people that will drive to Perrysburg for no reason other than to get Chipotle. Uh, it's a fine eating establishment. And I remember one time, I think it was about three or four years ago, I went to Chipotle. I was getting ready to order. And I saw the, the worker, he was walking over, he was about to ask me, hey, what do you want to eat? And before he got there, one of his coworkers called him over. And his coworker said, hey, come here for a minute. He went over there. They then called a third coworker over, and then she went over there. There's three Chipotle employees standing around this brown bowl of rice. And I'm thinking, okay, that's kind of weird. And you know how Chipotle is, you're kind of against that glass and you can see everything. And they're no more than five, six feet away from me. So I could hear their conversation. All of them are standing around this bowl of rice. And I kid you not, their conversation was, oh, what is that? What's wrong with it? And I'm hearing it going, uh, that's not good. If the people making my food don't know what's in my food, we're not off to a good start. And so they go on for 30 to like 45 seconds. They're just standing around it. They're poking at it with a fork. And they're like, uh, this ain't right. And I'm getting more worried and worried. And, and without skipping a beat, the worker turns around and says, welcome to Chipotle. What can I get you? And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, not the brown rice, you know. I was questionable because they were questionable. They're looking at it like, oh, what is it? And to this day, I don't know what was wrong with it. Um, and so my biblical advice to you guys, don't order brown rice. But um, <laughs> the people of Israel, they were doing the same thing they were doing. They're looking at the, at the bread on the ground. It doesn't look like what you would normally eat probably. And they're wondering, man, what is it? But even though they were questionable, God clearly provided for them in, in a unique fashion. And people who don't take the Bible to, uh, to be fully credible, they'll try to justify it by some natural means and say, well, there's you know, bugs and insects over in, in, in this part of the world that have like a honeydew secretion that's almost like a resin. But ultimately that's not going to feed over 2 million people. We can realize that God shows his power over creation by creating food out of nothing. And God provided for him. And when he gave them this food, he didn't just, he not only provided for them, but like we mentioned earlier, he would be testing them. And so verse 4 tells us that God had a specific way for them to collect the bread. We got seven days in a week, and God said, days one through five, collect what you need just for that day. 
So every morning, send somebody from your household to collect the bread. The Bible says that whatever they collected was the right amount. They didn't need any more. They didn't need any less. As long as they got it for that day, they were good. And God said, all right, on the sixth day, and he's kind of presenting this new idea to him. On the sixth day, I want you to collect or gather double. Because on the seventh day, I don't want you collecting anything. He's presenting this idea, which, which we're familiar with because we've, you know, we know the Ten Commandments. And this is before God gave them the commandments. But he's presenting this idea of taking a day of rest. And he's doing this still to test them to make sure that their heart is in the right place. And so these people, I'm assuming that they had no concept of taking a day off. I mean, their entire life, they've lived in Egypt as a slave. They probably worked all day, every day, seven days a week. And so God was trying to, to bless them with this day of rest, but still some of them disobeyed. They would either try to collect too much and try to save some for the next day, but God didn't allow that, the food spoiled. Or they would go on the seventh day to try to collect manna. And God told them not to do that because there wouldn't be any. And God, he's continually testing them because he wants to, to teach them something. He wants to show them that everything that they're blessed with, even the food on their plate, even their daily bread is a gift from God. They were to live in dependence on him. And his desire for them was to receive blessing through obedience. And so one more time, and they've already done it twice just as we've been reading, but one more time the people voiced their opinion. Verse 2 in chapter 17 says this. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. They grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. So the Israelites, still not happy with how things are going, they're not content. They're grumbling at Moses and Aaron for a third time. Once again, and this time they're not only complaining, it's not just their attitude, they're angry. It says that they are, and I don't know if you caught it, but they're not asking what they're going to do. They are demanding water. It says, give us water that we may drink. They're angry, they're frustrated, so much so that they're almost ready to stone Moses. Moses, the, their leader that's been with them since day one, they are so angry at him and just complaining I almost picture it as like an like a angry mob mentality. Like if they don't get what they want, they're going to do something else about it. And instead of submitting to God's tests and doing what God is telling them to do, they were testing God. They were questioning his, his ways, his provision, his leadership, and the leaders that he put in place. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that people may drink. Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. 
he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel. And because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So once again, they're grumbling. They, they say, give us water. They're demanding it. God lovingly, patiently still provides for them, even though their attitude is not good. Moses goes over by, you know, by God's permission, and, and it's kind of weird, but he strikes a rock, and water starts gushing out of it. And I'm, I'm assuming that it was the rock was able to trickle down or the water from it to where it collected in either like a reservoir or a pond or a pool of some sort so that everyone could drink from it. But what blows me away about, about the verses we just read is verse 7. The people are so just caught up in their attitude of just negativity that they said, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're saying, is God here? Is he going to do something? Is the Lord among us or not? And it, to me, it just blows me away because they've seen God do incredible things the past few months. They've seen God deliver them from the most powerful empire on the planet. They've seen God split a Red Sea just to keep them safe. They've seen God send plagues and uh, provide them with water, provide them with meat and bread to keep them nourished. And they have, they have the nerve to ask, is God here? Is God among us or not? No matter what God has done for them, they responded ungratefully. It wasn't enough. They wanted their problem solved now. They wanted this road trip to be going the way they thought it should go. And it tells us that God was testing them to find out what's really in their heart and to humble them. And at this point, I wouldn't use the word humble to describe them. And Psalm 78 gives us a good picture of, of what was really in their hearts at this time. Verse 7 through 8, as the author is telling the reader, hey, tell your children, tell the next generations to come, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. Keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. See, God's people Israel, they were so caught up in, in making it about themselves. They were so inconsistent back and forth, one minute praising God and then the next minute grumbling and, and about ready to, to kill their leader. They were so inconsistent because Psalm 78 is telling us they had no confidence in God. They didn't fully believe that even after all the stuff he's done for them, that he would provide. They didn't trust him that he was going to, you know, act out a plan that was best for them. They had this concept, and, and when the reality didn't meet the expectations, they complained. And, and this morning, this is as far as we're going to go in reading in Exodus. And you're probably thinking, wow, that's a bad way to leave it off. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a negative kind of vibe to it, just a bad connotation to where these people, the last thing they say is, is the Lord among us or not? And they have this just attitude of complaining and grumbling. But what I want to do is, is take a step back, look at what we read and see how, the, see how we can apply it to our lives. See what we can learn. And these people, they're traveling and 
all the things that God has done for them on this journey, they're not grateful. What sticks out is this, this complaining spirit, this attitude of, of just being unhappy and expressing how they really feel. It lingers through all the chapters that we just read. And it seems to, to trump just everything else in the chapters. That's what sticks out. And they complained about everything. They were constantly disappointed and they felt entitled. And the Bible tells us just how God feels about complaining. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Paul here, he's saying, in everything, in all things that we do, don't grumble. Don't complain. And this is probably the most popular, simplest verse on, you know, this topic. But it's so vital to our faith because it's dangerous. And if we claim to know God, if we have taken that step to follow Jesus, to admit that we're sinners, and to believe that man, Jesus is the only way, believing in him and what he did on the cross to pay for my sins and to have eternity spent with God, and if we commit our lives to him, we should be different than people who don't follow God. We're not better, we're not worse. We just claim to know that, hey, we have a hope in something that's greater than anything else that we can find in this world. And the Bible clearly tells us that we should stand out and we should be lights in the world. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, we should be, as Christians, we should be living this life that when people see us, we're free of, of anything that, he, that they can call us out on. If people look at my life and go, that's why I don't follow God. Yeah, Mike, he says it. He may say it from the stage. He may you know, tell everybody he loves God and he follows him. But his life, his actions, they don't match up with what he's saying. That shouldn't be the case for me. That shouldn't be the case for anybody who claims to know and follow Jesus. We should be different, light in the world. And so how, how can we be different? Paul is telling us to be different. How can we stand out in the midst of all of our friends, all of the, just the rest of the world who may not believe the same thing we do? Let's take it back to Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be, to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So how do we be different? How are we able to be lights in the world in all things that we do, whether it's good works or no matter you know, what our life consists of, how can we be different? Paul says don't complain. So I think when we express our, you know, our faith in God, our life should match up with it. And so our light that other people see, it comes from the freedom of complaining, having joy and gladness, which is the opposite of, of that attitude. Having joy, knowing that, hey, we have a hope, no matter what we face on earth, we have a hope that's greater than anything. We have a hope in Jesus that lasts not just in, 
until, you know, we're living here on earth, we have an eternal hope and a great God. And I think we'll stand out when we, when we apply this verse to our lives because complaining, I think it's normal. It's easy. It's what people do. I think it's normal to complain about your boss. I think it's normal to complain about your parents and, and your in-laws and your family. It's normal to complain about not having enough money. It's normal to complain about school. It's normal to complain and grumble and feel sorry for yourself and, and express, man, things aren't going my way. Life isn't fair. Like, what is happening? It's normal to complain. But you know what? God did not call us to be normal. God called us to stand out in the midst, what this verse says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation who we appear as lights in the world. God called us to be a representation of what he is able to do in our lives. I want to live my life as a walking billboard for what God is able to do and how he's able to change a messed up person like me. And so as Christians, we should be living in a way that, that's appealing. We're not deceiving anybody, but we just want to live a life to where people see us and go, yeah, he's different. She's different. There's something about them that I, I don't know what it is, but I want that. And we want people to come to know Jesus by the life we're living. Now, I don't know uh, if, I'm, I'm sure all of you guys have had some experience in this, but before I went to college, I visited some schools to see where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted a Bible degree, and so I checked out places like Liberty, uh, Grace, and Cedarville, just kind of around this area. And when we, when we went there, normally, whether it's like an official one with other people or uh, whatever it may be, somebody gave us like a tour of the campus, right? And I'm sure you guys have done that too. And when they give you a tour, what's the goal? The goal is for them to make the university, the campus look appealing. They want you to come there, right? And so when you're on the tour, they're naming all the great things, you know, all the positives. Imagine you go to a, you go to, you know, whatever school it is, you go to Liberty University and they give you a tour of the campus and the whole time they're just complaining about it. Imagine that. Like you, you, you go with the employee, you get on the golf cart and they're driving around and they say, yeah, here's our cafeteria. Uh, you're going to want to make sure that you have gift cards because our food there stinks. So, you know, don't eat there. Uh, here's our brand new dorms. And you know what? Every time it rains, it kind of floods in the dorm. So make sure everything is ziplocked and, and, <laughs> and waterproof. Uh, he, over here is our new education hall where, you know what? I don't know if they got the cockroaches out yet. So, you know, just be aware of that. Imagine that. That's not what they do. They, their goal is to make it appealing for, for you to be like, all right, this is where I need to be. It's the same way with us living our lives as believers. We want to live in such a way that people look at our lives, they see what our hope is in, they see our faith and go, man, I want to be a part of that. And so we do that by taking Paul's advice. So what do we do instead of complaining? The Bible tells us not to do it. What do we do? When we're faced with, with a crisis or trials, I think for that we look not to the people of Israel because we know what they did, but we look to their leader. We look to Moses. Moses was in the desert facing the same things that everybody else was. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's hungry. He's thirsty. 
But he had a completely different response to what they were facing. See, Moses, instead of complaining, Moses made it a habit to take his problems, to take whatever he was facing, and he took them to God. He didn't grumble. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't uh, do what the other people did, the other two million people that he was traveling with. His life was characterized by prayer and by him turning to God for solutions. When times got tough, Moses went to God. And there is a big difference there that I don't want us to miss. And he did that his whole life. It's not just, it's not just this story. But if you read in the rest of Exodus and in the book of Numbers, Moses goes to God with his problems. And if you think about it, what are they complaining about? Food and water. Pretty important things, right? I mean, need them to live. But even life essentials like that, God is telling us that we should not be complaining because God has blessed us and them in the story, but God has provided for us every step of the way. And so thankfully we have Moses as an example. And this morning I just want us to realize as again, it's not the cheeriest story in the world, but I want us to realize that complaining gets us nowhere. Especially when we haven't taken our problems to God and we haven't asked him for wisdom. We haven't um, been seeking him as a solution. Moses did that and we should too because it doesn't help. When we're hurting, when we're going through just different situations in life that we say, man, this, this isn't ideal. Or I, don't know what, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what we're doing. It helps to look to God for turning things around. We can replace our spirit, our attitude of complaining to one of gratitude, to where we are thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for what Jesus has done in our lives. And that truth, and that truth alone, would not only save us, but it sustains us every single day. And realize that, man, he's provided more than we'll ever need. He's done more for us than we can ever imagine. So there's really no need to grumble. We need to take our problems to God instead of wasting our time with this negative, um, just waste of energy and feeling this spirit of, of complaining. And we can go to God because we know he's there for us. In this story, he is constantly there for his people. He provides for them. He doesn't disappoint. He is trustworthy. So what we can do is have confidence in God because not only is he able to help us, he is willing. Let's stand and pray this morning. God, we, we just thank you most of all for, for who you are, God. We thank you for uh, creating us and, and loving us in the midst of our sin. God, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, that news alone should make us just completely thankful and grateful for what you've done for us. And because of that, there's no reason to, to be like the Israelites. There's no reason to complain because we know that you'll provide for us and we know that you're trustworthy. God, I pray that our confidence would be in you. And in any time that we have difficult situations, we're going through tough times, God, I pray that we would take our problems 
to you, just like Moses did. In your name, amen.